<laughs> All right. So uh, I actually checked my records and didn't realize that we had started this series as far back as we had and then got sidetracked, right? So in April, we started a series called The Elementary Principles of Christ. I'm going to move this cable because it looks severely unprofessional if you trip over the cable in the middle of service, although it is quite funny. But we have had more than one technical malfunction during services, so especially in the days when I had to use a corded mic to attach to the iPad, and, and that man, that iPad bit the dust one night here in service. I, got, I was walking off and forgot I was hooked up, and there it went, lock, stock, and barrel, iPad, microphone, and the whole shooting match. So that's why we're more wireless nowadays than we are anything. Um, it has been said that if you, I talk with my hands, it has been said that if you tie my hands, I can't talk. That's probably true. So just so you know. But the elementary principles of Christ. So we actually started this series uh, back in the, at the, toward the end of April. And then we ended up toward the middle of the end of April. Then we ended up uh, being six weeks on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So if you're interested in learning about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that is available, the church has an app that is available on the iTunes, in the iTunes store, app store, it's available in Google Play, you can go download the app, kind of cool, because there's a lot of, all my notes are attached to the messages, you can go down the, you can go download, listen to the message, and then check out the notes to take it, copyright infringe me, it's perfectly fine, you have permission, but, and then also the church has a podcast, so if you want to learn more about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Um, there's six parts on that, so, but we got kind of sidetracked by teaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because we wanted to, we wanted to hit that on the day of Pentecost, and so that's why we got sidetracked, but now we're back on the elementary principles of Christ. Now, I use a lot of scripture when I teach, so if you kind of get behind, what I encourage people to do is, most of the time, is use your phone. Um, it's easier to keep up with me because I'm not having to flip in my Bible. I have all of my scriptures on my paper. So encourage you to use a phone or take notes, or I can get you copies of the notes, or we can do lots of different things. But So we're going to go back, and we're going to re-talk about part one of the elementary principles of Christ. Now, it's very interesting when you see this. You all start in Hebrews chapter 6, please. Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to go back up into chapter 5, and we're going to talk about spiritual regression, okay? But I want, to leave, I want you to be thinking about this as we're going, before we go backwards. So Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And then verse 3 says, and this we will do if God permits. All right, so think about this. This is very interesting. The elementary principles, all right? So elementary principles here, if you're, depending on which Bible translation you're using, oftentimes you'll see in the King James or the New King James that the word principles is italicized, all right? Uh, maybe the NIV does that too, I'm not real sure. 
But anytime that you see an italicized word, if you're using the King James or the New King James, this is an indicator to you that that word is not in the original Greek text, but was added for clarity, right? So what's this mean? Well, Greek, which I study, uh, let me be more specific about that. But, but I, hate th- I hate for you to think that I'm studying con- uh, the Greek of today because the biblical Greek is what's called Koine Greek. Okay, so this is ancient Greek, which is different, probably about 60% different than modern Greek. Okay, so oftentimes Greek is a very pictorial language, right? So one word can have several different meanings much like a lot of our English words. But oftentimes, it will take, it will take. I've seen some words, some Greek words, that it will take four or five English words to be able to describe this one English word, okay? So elementary principles here is translated from the Greek word arche. Now we're going to get into that in just a moment. But when you think about the word elementary, what do you think about? You think about elementary school, Okay? All right, so what is elementary school? Well, this is the school that you start out in. So the Holy Spirit, who wrote Hebrews? The Holy Spirit. The pen, the the person who penned it, not important. The Bible comes from the mouth and heart of God, okay? So then we know that the Bible originates from outside of time, through the mouth of the Holy Spirit who moved upon men to write, okay? So think about it like this. This is what God says about these things that I just read to you in these verses. So understanding what? Understanding what is repentance from dead works and the faith toward God. Understanding the doctrine of baptisms, plural tense. Understanding... The doctrine of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Understanding these things, the Lord says, is a very, very, very beginning elementary school principle. So think about this. If you're sitting there this morning, ask yourself, what do I not know about these these categories that I just read to you? Because, see, a lot of people don't think, don't think there's anything wrong with you because I know many ministers who have been in the ministry for a number of years that can't even really accurately talk to you about most of these things, let alone teach on them. But so think about it like this. The, your understanding of these things, this is what the Bible calls the foundation. All right? So... For those of us like Bill and I who have worked in construction, and I don't know if anybody else here has, but you know what? You don't roll up to a job site and start setting trusses on the ground thinking that you're building a house. It's not going to go very far. So guess what you have to do? What is the, what's the first step? Cheyenne should know this. She's been working with me this summer, right? What's the very first thing you're going to do when you build a house? Well, you roll up. Well, you begin to dig footers for the house. And then you lay the block. This is called the foundation. So the foundation is the very first thing that is is created before the house is built. So the Bible says that your understanding of these things, of of eternal judgment, resurrection of the dead, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, plural tense, 
laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These things are all the very beginning foundation. The very, very, very beginning foundation of what your Christian walk and Christian life should be. So if you don't understand some of these things, and really we should thoroughly understand these things, because the more thoroughly, thoroughly that we understand them, the stronger our foundation will be, right? You wouldn't, how confident would you be if you were having someone build a house and, you know, there's a few blocks missing here and there's a few blocks missing here and over here we don't even have a wall. You wouldn't want them to build on that, would you? Sure you wouldn't. No, you'd be like, you'd call, be calling your block layer. Hey man, what's up with you? You know, you think about it, you call your block layer calls and says, hey, got your foundation ready, and you go out there and less than half the block is laid, you'd think there's something wrong with that guy. You'd want to fire him. But we don't, the, the problem is, is many Christians struggle in their everyday walk because the foundational principles are not, they're not in place, not like they should be. We've got three or four block here, and we've got three or four block here. It's interesting, but I like to go, and I can, I can just about locate where someone is by asking them this question. Tell me why Jesus said you must be born again. I can about, I can about pin, where, pin down where someone is. Just I'm talking ministers and everybody. Where they're at in their spiritual walk, in their spiritual life, by asking them that question. Because oftentimes the response that you'll get is, watch this. Well, G you know, you need to be saved. Well, that ain't what Jesus said. Jesus said you must be born again. So why must you be born again? Tell me why Jesus said you must be born again. Well, well, we were all born sinners. All right, where's your scripture that proves that statement? Because I have scripture that says that that's not the case. And that you were not born separated from God, but that sin, when it revives in you, kills you, deceives you, and then you die spiritually. In, in five minutes, I can tell where someone's at. See, we're kind of just, a lot of people are just running around doing stuff. It's kind of like, anybody ever see the Batman with Christian Bale where the Joker, anybody remember this, Right? Anybody see, we had Heath Ledger as the Joker, right? Some people are nodding yes, some people are nodding no. But if you go look up this video clip, right? Because they ask him, what's your plan? He said, I don't really have a plan. I just kind of do stuff. <laughs> you know, that's the way. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of Christians, we see a lot of Christians operate. So then guys like me have to come in and we have to spend extensive amount of time teaching people so that way they can live effectively. So if you don't understand what it means for repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, you've got a hole in your foundation because this is a foundational principle. This is not a part of the house as far as the building of the actual house. This is a foundation. This is what holds everything else up in which you believe. If you don't know that the Bible speaks of three, the doctrine of baptisms and that the Bible, the New Testament, talks about that there is three baptisms, you have a hole in your foundation. See that? What about laying on of hands? 
I'm not talking about catching hands or throwing hands. <laughs> Talk about the biblical. I'm not talking about trying to choke your brother or your sister or, or someone you don't like. <laughs> right? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that kind of laying on the hands. Like, anybody ever see this slap fighting? You know, it's kind of like one of my guilty pleasures. I unfortunately like to watch this from time to time. Because, man, I'm like, man, why would anybody in the world do that? But we're not talking about that kind of laying on the hands. Eternal judgment. Resurrection of the dead. All these things. The Bible says right here is a part of the foundation. So for us to have an understanding of this... This is the number one thing. This really is the very first thing that should be in the discipleship programs, right? Teaching people, what is discipleship? Well, disciples, translated from the Greek word methetes. And this word would give us an example. The picture would be one who's carved out to look like, a, like its master, Right? Anybody familiar with Star Wars? You know, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, the student has now become the master. We'll get, I'll, I'll find something. We'll meet on some t common ground here somewhere eventually. But discipleship means you're being trained in the Christian walk, trained in the method and, and workings of the Christian faith. Well, if we don't have the foundation right, we've got a lot of trouble. And this is why you have so much trouble in the church. This is why you have, really, pastors and elder Christians that can't explain to you why you must. Why do you need to be born again? Jesus didn't say you need to be saved. He said you must be born again. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to talk about that. You know, we're going to teach that. You know, the Bible actually tells us that, why you must be born again. It's interesting what you find when you begin to study the Scriptures right? So, the beginning principles. The Bible says these are the beginning principles. But before we go into the beginning principles, we ultimately have to take a look at how do people end up in the position that they're in? Anybody knows, you know, Christians that started off doing real well, and then, you know, over a period of time, they began to <whistles> decline, right? Piece by piece, part by part. You know, the Bible actually tells us why that happens. It's very interesting. It's a term, I, uh, the Holy Spirit gave me this term. It's called spiritual regression. It means going backwards spiritually. It's interesting. So when we go to Hebrews chapter 5, take a look. Let's listen. Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 1. All right, now let me give you just a little preface going into this. Chapters 1 through 4, when you really begin, there's a lot of stuff in these chapters that is really, really, really deep. I mean, you know, it never ceases to amaze me that the more I go through this, that it just seems like, you know, the more I study, the more I realize I don't learn or I don't know. You know what I mean? So it's like, wow, I was reading it. I was going through the first six chapters yesterday. And again, just going back and looking, I was like, man, there's all kinds of stuff here I ain't never even seen before. And I've read, uh, I've read and taught from these passages. I couldn't tell you how many times. But so, chapters 1 through 5 are really giving us the progression of understanding that Jesus is our high priest, right? Now, that's kind of hard to understand. 
And we will get to teaching on that, right? So not like a Catholic priest, but like an actual high priest. And if you don't know a lot about the Old Testament, how they how the Arianic priesthood worked and all this different stuff, it's not going to make a lot of sense to you. So in part of this, when we teach about the priesthood of Jesus, you have to go back and look at the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, right? That started with Aaron. Now, we're not going to get into that today, but I just want to give you an understanding that these chapters are all building up to the statement that we're going to start reading at in verse five, or in chapter five, starting in verse one. But it's establishing that Jesus is our high priest, okay? All right, so starting in verse one, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. So what this is kind of giving you the indicator here is, is that the high priest the, in the time, in the Old Testament times was selected. They were the, of the tribe of Levi. The very first high priest was Aaron, and, and the priesthood continues on down the line, right? But what the Bible's telling you here is, is that the high priest is able to be compassionate or merciful toward the sins of the people because he himself is prone to sin, right? So, you know, we don't, we see a lot of people today that we know fall into sin and transgression and then beat, and then beat other people to death over their sins and transgressions trying to hide their own. We don't want to be like that, right? Okay, but it says, but because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who was called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now this is God the Father talking to God the Son. And as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this guy's an interesting character. Who in the days of his flesh, and that's talking about the Lord Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. What death is he talking about? Physical death on the cross? No. No, Jesus died spiritually because he became made sin. So he was able to save him from death and heard and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. Isn't that interesting that the Bible says that the Lord Jesus himself in the flesh learned obedience by, because of the things in which he suffered? That's what that's telling you right there. That's interesting to me. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, don't bother asking me what that is because the Bible don't tell us. I've spent many hours trying to figure out what this is. Hours and hours and hours trying to figure out who this character Melchizedek is and what this order of priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek is. And, I've, and the Bible don't tell us. I wish it did. I, it's one of these things I'm going to have to find out when I get to heaven, I think. But I've spent many hours trying to figure it out. Okay, now listen. It says, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. 
And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then it goes on to say, chapter 6 would say, Therefore, leaving, therefore... Now, what does that word mean? What's therefore mean? It means the next statement is based upon what was just previously stated. So oftentimes, if you're reading the Scriptures and someone's quoting a verse that starts with therefore, you have to go backwards and look at what was said before that. It's like seeing and, the word and. The word and is a conjunction, right? Who knows what a conjunction is? It can, look, we got some people here, they're like, oh yeah, two people out of, out of 20 of us know what, the, know what that means. That's a, and I didn't know what it was neither until I, well, maybe three. So we got these kids know, and it's because they're in school and it's being forced on them against their will probably, like it was me. Right? And so, but and is a conjunction, all right? A conjunction ties two statements together and means that you cannot have what is after the and unless what is before the and is met. So basically saying it like this, you can't have one without the other. So therefore is a statement that says, oh, I got to go backwards and look, that's why I went all the way back to chapter 5 and read you all that, because then it says, see, you've got to have all that to understand why it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the RK, elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Listen, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. All right, so the, the fifth chapter is talking about the priesthood of Jesus. And verse 6 says that he is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then, it all, and then verse 11 tells us this, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The phrase you have become tells us there has been what? a regression from a higher spiritual place to a lower one. Kind of like if you're in the position to where you have to have hearing aids and you didn't start life out having to have hearing aids, your hearing decreased or regressed over a period of time. So a lot of people get to a certain spiritual point and then guess what happens? Well, adversity comes trials come, tribulations come, sometimes bad things happen, right? Some things, sometimes bad things happen to us and hit us like a freight train out of nowhere and causes us to what? Fall backwards spiritually. And if you're not in a position to where someone can help you and lead you out of this, man, you'll just keep on, it's like, you know, like, it, like you just keep just slowly, piece by piece and part by part, you just keep going backwards, going backwards, going backwards until, you, until you're so far away from where you were that it doesn't, you can't even remember where you've been or not even necessarily who you were in that season and time. And make no mistake, you, you will have things like this that will happen to you in life. I heard Brother Hagin say this yesterday, and I made notes on it, and I went back and listened to him say it six or seven times so that way I had it in my mind. 
He said, you know, of all the promises in the Bible, I see, I see Christian people claiming, he said, they never claim persecution, which is a promise. Persecution is a promise by the Lord. If you, live, if you endeavor to live a holy life before the Lord and walk like Jesus walked, guess what? Jesus was persecuted, wasn't he? That's persecution's a promise. Tribulation is a promise. You'd like Bible for that, wouldn't you? John 16, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So of all the promises that we see Christian people trying to claim, we don't see anybody claiming persecution and tribulation. But we ought to expect that that's, the, but that, that that's going to happen, right? So this phrase, you have become, tells us that there is a regression from a higher spiritual place to a lower spiritual place. All right, so you heard me just say a few minutes ago that sometimes it takes a handful of English words to to convey what is being said in the Greek. Well, why is that? Well, because there is oftentimes no literal word-for-word translation of the Greek. If you hear someone telling you that they're reading a word-for-word translation from the Greek New Testament, they are mistaken. Do you know why that is? Because a literal, I showed Mark and Kim this the other day, if you tried to read a literal translation from Greek, to English, it literally makes no sense because the language is structured completely different. How The structure of the language, how it works, is completely different. It's no different than trying to go word-for-word Spanish or word-for-word Chinese or all these different stuff, right? So it takes a handful, sometimes it takes a handful of English words to, to convey the point of the Greek word that's being said. So when it says, you have become, if I look at this in the Greek text, you have is not there, it's italicized, and become is what's there, all right? But not the English word become, it's the Greek word genomai. So this means that you have, this has, you started out as one thing, and in this particular instance, you've become something else. Now this can also be phrased uh, or, or used when describing something that pops up out of nowhere, like describing the storm that tried to kill the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 4 when he's going across the sea. And it says, in a great storm arose, that's the Greek word, genomai. Now, genomai there means something that come rapidly out of nowhere. But genomai in this setting means you started out at one thing and you began to become something else in a lower state, right? So it says, you have become... Now, <laughs> I'm going to give you this Greek. I'm going to give you the the definition of this Greek word translated dull, but I don't want anybody here to take offense. <laughs> so <laughs> just understand, I'm not saying this about you. I am just simply saying this is what the word nothros means, right? So it says you have become dull. All right, dull translated from the Greek word nothros, Strong's number. If you're interested in that is G3576, and it means slow, slothful, stupid. I didn't put that in there, I promise. Abby's losing it. I did not put that in there. This is actually what is in the Strong's Concordance Dictionary, right? So it can mean indolent, which means wanting, wanting to avoid 
activity or exertion or lazy. Mm. So it says you have become dull of what? Hearing. Hearing is translated here from the Greek word echoe, and this is actually the Greek word for the word ear. So oftentimes if you look, you would see the word echoe translated as the as the English word ear, but it, it means a sense of hearing. Or you might even say you have developed a sense of selective hearing. Does anybody here ever fall prey to selective hearing? I have been known to do this myself. Uh, Kim's sitting here pointing at Mark with one thumb, and she's got four fingers of pointing back at her. So, I mean... Uh, <laughs> so let's don't point fingers at anybody, right? Because we've all become, we have all partaken in selective hearing. So it says you have become dull of hearing. Maybe you've got lazy in your walk. But the writer here is who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says you should be a teacher. You've been in the faith long enough you should be teaching others. But because of laziness or slothfulness or because of having selective hearing, you have now come to need milk and not regular food. Well, what's that tell us if we look at this in the scope of just life, right? I mean, think about it. You know, babies start out on milk, right? And then they grow up. Well, you, as they grow, you feed them more and more regular types of food. Well, the problem is, is that I see is that we have a lot of Christians that get to a certain point, and then they go to start slipping backwards. And then some people have regressed all the way back. The Bible literally tells us that, that it is possible for someone to grow spiritually, to become an adult, and then regress all the way back to being a baby. A spiritual baby. Man, I'd hate to change that diaper. My goodness. Think about that. Can you, are, are you beginning to see why a lot of people have trouble? When we just begin to look at the text and just see what the Bible says, we can begin to see why, so, why we see so many people around us having so much trouble. Well, how do we correct it? Well, we got to acknowledge it first. That's the very first thing that has to be, that we have to do, right? So, but then it goes on to say, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So, think about it like this. You can say it like this, because of the amount of time they have been involved with the church and ministry, they should be teachers, but, due to spiritual regression, they even themselves need to be retaught the first principles. Wow. Mm. You know, that, this is not just a word to a pastor, right? Like, you realize the Bible is not just talking to pastors or evangelists or apostles or prophets or teachers, right? He's talking to, this is literally addressing every level of Christian that's there. Think about that. It's so interesting to me. All right, so first principles here. Let me find my notes. Okay, so it says you need, to, you need someone to teach you again 
the first principles, all right? First here is also translated from the Greek word arche, all right? So first, which the, so the Greek word arche is translated first here, and in Hebrews 6, it's translated elementary principles. So this begins to tell us this is the very beginning things, right? And so this is a beginning or an origin. Uh, this is first place and has several different definitions, but in this setting, this is what it means. All right, so then principles, listen to this. Principles here is translated from the Greek word stoikion, and it's any first thing from which others belong, to, which others belong or to some series or uh, composite whole to make uh, their first rise. The first principle. This could be applied to the letters of the alphabet as elements of speech. Think about that. And then, the, and then there's a number of different also definitions that don't apply in this setting, but the elements, rudiments, primary and fundamental principles of any art, science, or discipline. It's a very beginning thing. So you might say it like this. What's one plus one? This is an elementary principle. He's, he says three. <laughs> he might be, I don't know, he may be going to Whitley County, I can't tell. All right. Can you see that? Elementary principles, okay? Now, it says you need someone to teach you again the oracles of God. All right, well, what's oracles? Well, it's translated oracles. It's translated from the Greek word logion, and this is the utterances of God. A brief utterance. In the New Testament, it's the words or utterances of God. The Old Testament pertains to Mosaic law. All right, so then this is what we see is we would call this nowadays the Scriptures right, or the Bible. This is the oracles of God. I'm working to get you all out of here, I promise. Okay, so I'm going to read directly to you from my notes right here. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Again, here's a statement made to show regression from a higher spiritual place to a lower one. Basically to say that if you went from being grown up to being like a newborn baby. Now, watch this. What has caused this regression? Because there's a cause. It don't just happen, right? Doesn't These things, we, we kind of want to act like they just happen, but they don't just happen. And this is not an accident. Like if you have a, you're perfectly healthy one day and then all of a sudden you're in a car wreck and you get injured in the car wreck, there's an instantaneous reason for what has happened to you. But you know, there's no real instantaneous reason for this, for spiritual regression. Isn't that interesting? So what can cause these things? What could cause someone to be at a higher spiritual point and then go backwards? See, we ought to be able to prove this stuff in the light of the Word, right? So we kind of talked about people hitting hard times. I went and... and uh, Thursday, I went and, and had to preach a funeral for my cousin over in Glasgow, right? And so, it's interesting, because I've been asked to preach a handful of funerals for people that I don't know if they're born again or not. What do you do in that case, right? The very first funeral that I was ever asked to preach, I, I don't know if this person's born again. I can't sit there and tell them, hey, you know what? Uh, this person's in heaven, blah, blah, blah. I can't tell them that. 
So I really had to get in prayer about this. First, you know, first funeral you ever preach. And then you don't even know if, so, if this person's born again or not. Boy, you talk about tough sledding. I mean, that's tough sledding. So I began to pray about it. Interestingly enough, you know what the Lord wanted me to focus on? He wanted me to focus on the comforting of the brokenhearted. Nothing can be done for the one who has stepped into eternity. But the Lord wanted me to go and bring words of comfort to those who had lost their loved one. Isn't that interesting? And every funeral that I've preached since then, he has given me the exact same text to preach, including the one that I preached for my cousin, in whom I have no idea. I don't know if he made it to heaven or not. I don't know. I don't. Can't, I, I mean, hadn't seen the guy in 30 years. Maybe more than that. Hadn't had contact with him in 30 years. You know, well, what do you do? Well, you know, the Lord still wants those that are hurting and suffering to be comforted. Now, you'd like Bible proof of that, wouldn't you? Sure you would. Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and it says, and as his custom was, he stood up to teach, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he flipped to the spot where it was written of him, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This is starting at verse 16. He has, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. All right, well, who's the poor? What's he talking about? Is he talking about the guy that ain't got no money? Nope, not necessarily. He's talking about the preaching of the gospel to those who have not heard it and do not have it. Then secondly, he goes in there and says, now listen to this. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the captives of recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. About five years ago, one day, the Lord said to me, he said, that is a list of order of importance to God. And my mouth dropped. I was like, my goodness, that's right. Number one, preaching of the gospel to those who do not have it. Number two, the healing of the brokenhearted. Why? Why is he focused on this? Because the Lord said to me, he said, you know, there's nothing that will knock someone out of a position of faith faster than the expected or unexpected loss of someone that they love. That will trigger spiritual regression. That will cause someone to go backwards. So interestingly enough, in this funeral, the Lord had me take this kind of, you know, this kind of the very first time he'd had me take it from this angle. But it took John chapter 11, where Lazarus died. Anybody ever hear this, right? Interestingly enough, the Bible says a couple interesting things. If you go, and this is why it's important to study the Word. Because it says in the very first, in the beginning of the chapter, it says that the sisters of Lazarus came to Jesus and said, Lazarus, in whom you love, is sick. That's interesting to me. Well, you know, Jesus loves everybody. In a broad spectrum sense, he does. But when he was here as a man, you know that he had natural, physical attachments to people. Then it says he got the message, Lazarus in whom you love has died. Then Jesus goes. It's interesting. He sees the people. 
Martha comes to him first. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Then Mary, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And interestingly enough, there's this statement that says, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Why? Why did he weep? Did he not know who he was? Did he not know he was the son of God? Sure he did. Did he not know he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Sure he did. But if he was going to be a faithful high priest in all things, he had to experience everything that we could ever potentially go through, including the loss of someone in whom he had fervent natural love for like a brother. That's why. He had to experience what we could experience to help people who go through these things, who slide, who, when these things happen, guess what happens? Man, boom, shoo, slide backwards. What about the brokenhearted? You know what else? What about the loss of a marriage? What about the loss of a dream or a hope? He said, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Because these, there's, this is the very first thing that can cause spiritual regression in someone. Boy, that's horrible. And I've been there. But Jesus has been where we've been, and further, so that way he could lead us out of where we're at and prove himself as the faithful high priest. You see what I'm saying? But see, here's the problem is, a lot of times we don't take time to see that with other people. We don't take time to have the compassion on other people, right? Mm. We just see, well, you know, they used to go to church, and we don't know what happened to them. They just gave up and quit after their divorce. You know, he used to, I've heard this before. You know, he used to be a pastor. He used to be a preacher until his wife left him, or his wife died, so on and so forth. Used to be, used to be. Well... You know what? My goodness. You wouldn't even have to really, you, you wouldn't even have to be smart enough to add two plus two to know that what's happened to the person. Now, won't you go comfort them? Instead of talking about them at work or talking about them to your buddies or whatever else, won't you go comfort them and say, hey, you know what? What can I do? Can I do something to help you? Because, you know, sometimes life will hit you like a semi truck, it will happen. And that's one of the very first things that will cause spiritual regression. In a lot of people. Mm. So close to 12 o'clock. <laughs> right? But it's important for us to see this. It's important for us to understand this. See, we don't get to tell people how what's happened to them makes them feel. But we kind of want to. But we shouldn't. Right? Instead of meeting them where they're at, saying, hey, look, I'm here to help. So this is the number one thing that will trigger spiritual regression. Right? What's number two? Listen to this. Mark chapter 5. Now I'm going to read you verse 5. And then I'm going to jump down and I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. All right? It says, so, and this is talking about the parable of the sower. So some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. 
Then jump down to verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they heard the word immediately received it with gladness. And they had no root in themselves so they endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. All right, well, what does this mean? This means the person gets born again. Boy, boom, gets on fire for the Lord. Man, we're just all over the place. Let's just do this thing. And then guess what happens? Someone close to them comes and begins to, what? Attack them. Then they begin to what? Withdraw. Oh, well, maybe I'm not supposed to teach the word. You know, because Granny, you know, you know, Granny's the best Christian person I ever met. She, you know, and, and she don't believe that, I, that I'm called to preach and teach. And she makes sure that, my, that I know it because of my past. Well, you know, that happens a lot. Make no mistake, the adversary will inspire and even get a hold of the mouths and tongues of Christian people to try to knock you off course. I've seen it. I've had it happen to me. One of the most devastating blows I was ever dealt. I was working on a book that was extremely important to me. Extremely important. And I gave a copy of this to someone whose opinion to me was above everybody else's. And to this point, I had never had any bad interact years of a wonderful relationship with this person and i gave them a copy of this and they called me a few days later and slammed me hard i can't believe you believe this stuff you believe jesus wants to heal everybody and i mean just and man i mean it was like you ever take a real hard shot to the gut and you feel like you're gonna puke oh yeah horrible man i mean it had me questioning for a long time this and what i knew the lord wanted me to do so we have some people that regress spiritually because they have stepped out in faith and someone has come against them in the faith slammed them persecuted them boom boom backwards Spiritual regression. See that? Almost up. 11.56. I'm going to have you out here by 12.06. She's like, thank God I'm ready to get out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I feel the same way. I'm kind of hungry myself. All right. So let's look at another cause of something that can cause spiritual regression. Now, make no mistake. This one is the most common. Wait till you see this. This is the most common. This is what is going to probably affect 80% of Christian people at some point in their life. Listen to this. This is Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read you verse 7 and then verses 18 and 19. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Now, verse 18. 
Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now watch this. You would think that the word cares probably means I'm caring about something else besides the scriptures. But that's not what this word means. The word cares here is translated from the Greek word marimna, and it means distractions, worries, and anxieties. Uh-oh. 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 We got trouble now. Now we ain't just talking about spending too much time watching sports and not enough time reading the word. Woo! Whoa, what about all these people that love to get together and talk about all their worries and how anxiety rules them? Uh-oh. We got trouble now. See that? So it can be distractions. But it can also just simply be anxieties and worries. I see this in a lot of people, right? The Lord moves miraculously for them, and then something else, another another giant appears, and they begin. Everything begins to. We're falling apart. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Well, we're going to believe the Lord just like we did the last time. And what's going to happen? The Lord's going to be victorious this time, like He was last time. See, that's our position. But we don't want to hear that when we're in the midst of it. We want to go and talk to all the people that we know will embrace our anxiety with us and then pour some on top of us to help us out, right? Oh, you know, you weren't thinking about this, but maybe what if this happens? Instead of saying, you don't want people like that around you when you're in the middle of a fight of faith. When I'm in the middle of a fight of faith, you know what I do? Everybody goes to the outside. Everybody does. And then as people begin to talk, I hear what they have to say about the situation. And if what they're saying about the situation is either contradictory to the word or contradictory to what the Lord told me, I go, mute. I don't listen to them. Because I don't need any help when it comes to worrying if there's a major problem. But a lot of people want to get together and help you make your mountain bigger. Or they want to make your giant taller. I'm telling you something right now. There ain't no problem bigger than Jesus. That's simple as that. There is no situation bigger than his ability to bring you through it. But a lot of people go backwards because they're worrying. Oh, man. Oh, man, I, we ain't never had trouble like this before. Well... You know, this is why it's important to study the Scriptures. Because if you understood that he is El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough, and not El Chipo, the God who's not able to pay his bills. See, a lot of people serve the God of El Chipo, not the El Shaddai. He's called Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Not deadbeat dad or deadbeat mom that don't show up when you need them. He said, I promised you I'd never leave you. I'd never forsake you. And you know how many times you may have to walk around for a month quoting that to yourself a thousand times to keep yourself focused. But oftentimes, we get people in the car with us that's trying to crash us because it ain't their situation. 
Come on now. You ever get people advising you in relationships and it ain't their relationship? Oh, I'll tell you what I'd do if that was my husband. Oh, I'll tell you what I'd do if that was my wife. You better find out what the Lord would do. Oh, I'll tell you how I'd handle it if it was my kids. No, you better find out what the Lord do it. What, was the, what would the Lord do? We need Jesus driving the car here. We don't need all these people that got broken marriages, broken relationships with their kids, fractured friendships. They're un, these people are unfaithful. Why you want to let them on the bus? They crashed their own bus. You going to take their advice and listen to them? No, I'm not. Sit you right outside the door. Do you ask my kids? I put you right. I mean, they know. I put you right out. You go outside the perimeter fence. If you're talking down, unbelief, all this different nonsense, outside you go. Because I don't need any help. And you know what? Think about it like this. I ain't trying to be offensive to nobody, but think about it like this. People that are coming to you and doing these things to you are actually working with the devil. I don't care who they are. I don't care how long they've been a Christian. I don't care how good of a person they are. Didn't, didn't the devil get a hold of, G, uh, of uh, Peter's tongue? Sure he did. What did Jesus do? Oh, Peter said, oh, God forbid, Lord, that these things, such things should happen to you, Lord. He tried to rebuke the Lord. What did the Lord do? He said, you shut your mouth and get behind me. You are not mindful. Of, you are mindful of the things of men and not the things of God. So you know what? You don't want to go backwards spiritually? You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to kick some people off the boat. Get out. I don't need you here. You're talking down. You're talking unbelief. I'm trying to believe the Lord for this. Well, yeah, but now you don't. No, I don't. Uh, no, no, no. You get these yeah, but people. That's the first people you know to put out the door. You say, I'm believing God for this. Oh, yeah, but what? Out. Out you go. Get them by the ear. Drag them out of the house. No, I don't want to hear this. What did the Lord say? What did the Lord say? That's what we want to hear because that is what, if we'll hang on to that, man, we'll top tall cotton and we'll jump walls. We'll see giants fall. Mountains dissipate. Valleys rise up. Rivers run in the wilderness. Woo! Rivers run in deserts. Pathways be made in wildernesses. Come on now. You see what I'm saying? I don't want anybody coming along and trying to add weight to my cart. I got, enough to I got enough stuff to take care of. You see what I'm saying? So spiritual regression, we'll land on this. It's 12.04. You ready for this? Two more things, real quick. All right, the deceitfulness of riches. Many have, uh, have been and are now deceived by the pursuit in mo of money and wealth, yet that, that doesn't make having money or wealth a bad thing. So you can have money as long as money don't have you. You can have stuff as long as stuff don't have you, right? Money's a great tool, but a horrible master. Uh, it's from my friend Chris Romine. Um, and then desires here is translated from the Greek word epithumia, and it means a longing or a desire for something that you know you're not supposed to have. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, those desires, epithumium, the longing or desire for something that you know you're not supposed to have. Mm. And other things, really this phrase could be summed up by saying, this is a longing to do all of the other kinds of things that are either sin or simply do not benefit you 
at all, right? So, part one, spiritual regression. So it's important to understand that if you have regressed spiritually, acknowledge it, right? It's simply to say, okay, I have regressed. regressed. You don't have to, don't admit it to me, right? We don't have a confession booth here. Don't admit it to me. Admit it to the Lord. Lord, I have regressed spiritually. I see this. My eyes are open and I see this, Lord. Now help me, Lord, because I want to get over here and fix my foundation. And then that way, you know, you ought to be a benefit to the kingdom of God. You ought to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. You see what I mean? I'm not saying you all are not. I'm saying we can all do a lot better, right? All right, well, 12.06, just as I promised. Let's pray and we'll get out of here. Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Father, we're so thankful for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for the Holy Spirit. We're so thankful for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for laying your life down for us. Thank you for shedding your blood for us, Lord. Thank you for paying a debt that only you could pay. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for all these people, all these faces, all these kids. Thank you so much. Thank you for them. Lord, I just ask you to bless them and keep them this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all are out of here. If anybody needs prayer for anything, I'll be hanging around here for just a few minutes, so we'll shut this thing off.